Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. Outpouring family, we are back up in here another week, man. I'm glad to be in here. I'm glad to connect with you online. I'm glad that we get to meet again online as a church family to all of our first-time visitors. We just want to welcome you to our online community at The Outpouring Hey, why don't you do us a favor? If you could write there in the comments, hey, just introduce yourself. Tell us where you're from. We want to greet you and tell you welcome. We're just excited for you to be with us online as we would if you were with us in Orlando. Hey, we want to extend the invitation like we do all the time. If you ever make your way to Orlando, we know you got a trip at some point. Plan to come to Disney World. Somebody's coming to Disney at some point. Somebody's asking to come see Mickey. Well, why not come see Jesus while you're at it? And so we want to extend the invitation for you to visit with us at the outpouring. Um, Man, we're excited this morning to share in God's word, to worship together. Um, And so I I want you to grab a Bible. We've been in the book of John for a couple weeks now. And I want you to turn with me to John chapter 15. I'm super excited about today. I'm super excited because I think that this is something that we can all grow in and benefit from. Hey, I want to encourage you as always. A couple things. Number one on the surface. Hey, share the link with somebody. Let somebody know that we're on 10 a.m. Tell them they can tune in, hear the good news about Jesus or somebody that goes to church that they, they just are still sleeping. Hey, let them know we're online. Hey, um, turn with me to John chapter 15. I encourage everybody to not just read your Bible um, during uh, uh, during Sunday service or, or whenever you watch a sermon, but engage with God in his word throughout the week. I promise you, your life will look a lot different. Reading the Bible and hearing a sermon will be a lot different when you've already been engaging with God. You'll be able to connect the dots. The Bible is not a a uh, bunch of different disconnected stories, but it is one storyline going through the scriptures, one storyline from beginning to the end. I, I admonish you to engage with all of God's word, not just the New Testament, but also the Old Testament. People like to throw that away, but you can't understand or appreciate the new unless you got the old because the old shows us what is going to happen in the new. It prepares us what is to come. And so it is a shadow of what's about to happen. And let me give you a little, uh, 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 let me give you a little something for free. The story of the Bible is not about you. It's actually about God. And so I want to just tell you to engage with God in his word. If you got your device, if you got your regular Bible, turn me to John chapter 15. And we're going to look at the first eight verses today. The first eight verses. And here's what it says, John 15, verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me, hear this, it's so important, that does not produce fruit, he removes. And here's the other thing you need to remember that's important. And he prunes Every branch that does produce fruit so that it'll produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. 
The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire and they are burned. This is what he does with unfruitful branches. But here's what he says. Verse seven. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you want and it'll be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. My sermon title today is Growing in God, Growing in God. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We honor you. We thank you. We appreciate you. God, we are so glad and so joyful that we have you, God, that through your son, Jesus, we have God. And so, Lord, we just come today from near and far from all walks of life, but all walks of our faith. Some of us are just starting out. Some of us have been walking with you for a while. But wherever we are today, we pray, God, that you would speak to us, God. We leave room for you to speak today. But God, we don't just watch a sermon, God, we are going to engage and participate with all of our senses. God, as we open our Bible, we go through the scriptures together today. Lord, I pray you illuminate our mind, illuminate our hearts, illuminate everything about us, God, so that we can understand, that we can have clarity, but also that we could have conviction, God, God and convict us, but then encourage us, God. Let, let us see the hope that is in you, Lord. And so, Father, I pray today for those who are distracted, those who have a million things going on. Those are that are in pain emotionally, mentally. Lord, I pray that you will be a healer and I pray that you will give them strength. And so, Father, we just thank you for this opportunity today. We don't take it for granted, God, that even though we can't meet physically, we can actually still meet um, online. God, we, we thank you for the means that you've given us in this particular season to engage with each other, to stay connected and to connect with you. And so, Father, I pray that you would do what you do today, God, that you would show yourself strong, that you'll be powerful today, and that ultimately your son Jesus would be glorified today through our preaching. And so, Father, we thank you. We give you glory. We give you honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Uh, amen. We have been talking about discipleship, what it means to be committed to God, what it means for, for God to finish what God started. Like, like it's God's sovereignty and human responsibility. What I mean by that is this. God takes the initiative and God saves us and God will finish what God started. That if God saved you, God will keep you saved. However, that does not uh, neglect us from having uh, to take a responsibility and growing in our own salvation. We have a responsibility as believers. And so although God grows us, there are some things that we do to participate in our own sanctification process of growing in God. And so I, I want to start off um, 
and, and say this, that God has a purpose for everybody. God has a purpose. And so we oftentimes we think about purpose. We get excited about purpose. We get so excited about what is my purpose? I want to find out what my purpose is. And, and one of the things and one of the scriptures that we love to quote, I mean, we quote this thing like we quote it like it's nobody's business. We love ourselves. Some Romans 8, 20, 28. I know that all things work together for the good that love God, those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And that's a beautiful thing, a beautiful promise. But, but I want us to remember something about that and not negate what it's really saying. God is working all things together for our good, whatever that looks like. But, but we have to remember that it says that it is for his purpose, for, for his purpose. And so when we think about it, we think about good, like it's going to be a good thing for us. And, and I don't want us to just make it about the good being some material thing or something that we get in our grasp. It can be that, but we should let God define what good is. Because sometimes what we think is bad, God thinks it is good if it means that it'll work out for his glory. And so it says that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purposes. And so we find ourselves in any situation and we quote Romans 8, 28. And what I want to remind us today is, is that there there is a dichotomy. We can't really understand Romans 8, 28 as a standalone. This is why context matters. We can't divorce Romans 8, 28 from Romans 8, 29. We can't divorce one from the other, because if we want to know what it means by all things according to his purpose, then we got to understand and ask the question, well, what is his purpose? But we can understand what his purpose is in that precious promise if we read Romans 8, 29. I'm going somewhere. It says this in Romans 8, 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. Uh-oh, he predestined. What does that mean? He predetermined. What did God predetermine? It's about to answer the purpose question. What is my purpose? He predetermined to be, we predetermined that we would be conformed to the image of his son, that we would be the firstborn among many brothers. And so God's intention in saving us was for us to grow us and to make us look like Jesus. And so when he says all things are working together for the good of those that love God according to his purpose. He's working all things together for the good of those that love him. Not everybody, only those that love him. He's doing that according to not their purpose, but his purpose. And his purpose is to conform us to the image of his son, which means God saved us to grow us. And so the Bible sometimes describes that growth as Fruitfulness. He describes it as fruitfulness. The evidence of growing in God and being conformed to the image of his son is godly fruit. So if God's purpose is for us to bear fruit. then That means that there's no such thing as an unfruitful Christian. And so if God's plan is to grow us, God doesn't just make a plan, make a statement tells us that he's working things for his purpose, tell us what the purpose is and leave us. But God gives us means. God gives us means to grow us. God puts things in place to grow us. And the way in which God has planned for us to be fruitful is primarily to be connected to his son. 
For Christians, at the moment of our conversion, the moment you got saved, the moment you realize I need a savior, I am a sinner and I need a savior. I'm ready to turn away from my sin and put my trust in the finished work of Jesus. The moment that moment that happens, you become united with Christ. You are in him and he is in you. And so our union with him is that he's in us and that we are in him. In him. It is called our union with Christ. And so we have this solidarity with Jesus. We have this solidarity with Jesus the same way we had a solidarity with Adam. So you know that Jesus is referred to as the second Adam because the first Adam wasn't or didn't turn out the way that God had planned because of disobedience. And you know the story. And so because of Adam's sin, we are sinners. We are born into sin and shaped in iniquity because of Adam. He was like our agent, our federal head. He was our representative and he failed. And I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Well, I wasn't there with Adam in the garden. So why should I have to bear the responsibility for his sin? Because if I was in that garden and Eve was talking to that snake, I would have knocked that thing right out of her hand. I said, Eve, you better stop talking. You better stop talking to that snake. That is what you say. But I want you to think about this. What it means when it says that we have a solidarity with Adam is that if we were in Adam's shoes, we would have done just what Adam did. Here's how I know. Adam had all the food he wanted. He had the best job ever. He had access to all the resources. Adam didn't even have to go shopping for work clothes because he was naked and didn't even know it. Adam had the perfect boss. His boss was perfect. His boss was cool in the game. He loved his boss. They got along every day. He never had to call in sick. He never had to take a, a, a break from work because there was no sickness. Adam didn't have to call in sick. He loved his boss. He loved his co-worker primarily because he didn't really have a lot of them. And then on top of that, it was perfect weather every day. You know how it is to drive to work in the rain? You know what it's like to work at 2 o'clock, it starts raining or it rains in the morning. It makes the day be so long. You're just sitting there looking at the rain out the window. You don't want to be there. You're sleepy. If you work in an office, with a, it's cold in the office all the time. Y'all know how it is. But Adam has perfect conditions and he still disobeyed God. Now, what makes you think that with all the things that you lack and all the temptations that you face and all the bosses that you have that you don't like and all the co-workers that you try to avoid and not talk about the weekends, all those things that you have to deal with. And you think for one moment that you would have made the same decision that Adam made. You would have did just what Adam did. And therefore, we share a solidarity with Adam. But the good news is, is that the second Adam came and made everything right that the first Adam made wrong. And just like we share in the sin of the first Adam, the second Adam came along and now we share in his righteousness. I think the Apostle Paul clears it up for us in Romans chapter 5, verses 18 through 19, when he says this, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed, many will be made righteous. One brought sin and death. The other one brought freedom and life. 
And so the solidarity we have with Christ, the second Adam, is not just a get out of hell free card. It's not just fire insurance, but it is a life giving, meaningful, eternal relationship with the living God that we get to have. And the way that we ensure that we are growing and fruitful is to stay connected to the vine. And so vine and branches is the allegory that Jesus used to describe those who are his and those that will be his disciples by his before his death and resurrection. He's telling them what it means to be a disciple. And this is his instruction for them when in, he's going to be absent. He's going to tell them how to remain connected to him. And so it brings us to the point about this vine. This would have been an all too familiar illustration for them. I want to say this. Grapevines were all over the area where they were at the time. Grapes were a part of their diet. And so it was a major part of their life. Matter of fact, the vine was a symbol of Israel. If we look at the prophets, if we look at Isaiah, we look at Jeremiah, we look at Ezekiel, we will see that God refers to Israel as the vine. And he is the vine dresser or the gardener. He is the vine dresser or the gardener. He plants the vine. He cultivates the vine. They were to be his people who were to be fruitful for him. They were, they were to produce a harvest of fruit. But here's the thing. They failed in every single way. They yielded worthless fruit. They were not growing into who God intended for them to be. So he warned them that judgment was coming and that they would be destroyed because of their unfruitfulness. And Isaiah paints the picture for us in Isaiah chapter five, verses four through seven, this is what the prophet Isaiah has said. What more could I have done? He's, God is speaking through the prophet. Here's what God had to say. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? Why? When I expected a yield of good grapes, did it yield worthless grapes? Now I tell you what I'm about to do with my vineyard. I'm about to remove its hedge and it'll be consumed. I'm going to tear down its wall and it's going to be trampled. I'll make it a wasteland. It will not be pruned or weeded. Thorns and briars will grow up. I will also give orders to the clouds that rain should not fall on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of armies is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, the plant he delighted in. He expected justice, but saw injustice. He expected righteousness but heard cries of despair. And so these are those that failed to be what God intended for them to be. They didn't become the vine that God, the vine dresser, set out for them to be. So what does God do? He sends his son who becomes the true vine. He becomes what Israel was not. He is the completely obedient, faithful, and fruitful vine. And so the fruit that God desired from Israel but didn't find, he gained by sending his own son to be the true vine. And we are the branches to the vine. And so if, if Jesus is the vine, then we are the branches. And what is the purpose of the branches? The purpose of the branches is to be connected to the vine. It's to be connected to, to abide, to remain, to stay connected to the vine and then be fruitful. They are to remain there so that they can be fruitful. Now, I want to talk about the unfruitful branches before I get to the fruitful branches. He talks about the unfruitful branches in, in verses two and verses six. He talks about them being removed, thrown aside like a branch and withers. And he talks about them being gathered and thrown into the fire. This is a sign of God's judgment. God does not deal with unfruitful branches. He removes 
unfruitful branches. That is how serious God takes unfruitful branches that he says that he throw them away so that they can wither. They'll be then picked up and burned in the fire. The, the, the purpose of a vine, the purpose of a vine, the purpose of the branches is to be fruitful. And so when something is not fruitful, that is a sign that it doesn't belong on the vine. Right. And so this should serve as an alarm for all of us who have a relationship with God and nothing about our character has changed. It's not to say that your life won't be absent of struggles. But it's the difference between a life being absent of struggles. We, we can struggle with different things, attitudes, mindsets, different little things that we do. We, we can struggle with those. Right. But some of us don't struggle with anything because we do everything. And this is who he's talking about. Some stuff we just flat out give up and compromise on and say, that's just me. That's just who I am. That the attitude that that's just who I am. The, the, the my mouth. That's just who I am. The, the way I lie. That, that's just who I am. I, I do whatever I want to do. That, that's just who I am. That's just my issue. But but that's what the Bible calls unfruitful. That is not bearing fruit in those areas. The reality is if we say that that's just who I am, we deny the reality and the power of the gospel. We make a mockery of the gospel of Jesus Christ when we don't even strive for victory in certain areas. We just say, oh, well, I'm just going to live like this. And so we do stuff like go to church, serve in church or around other Christians. And we we think that we are in the presence of God and nothing about our life is changing. And the Bible, no matter how many scholars I read or regarding this, the example that they kept coming back to was Judas Iscariot. Why was that? Because Judas was around Jesus for three years and nothing changed. It is possible to be in the presence of but the presence not be in you. And that is what he describes as being unfruitful. This is for people who have never changed. You got saved in 80 and in 1990, your life looked just like it did in 1980. Nothing changed. Habits were still the same. Mindset still the same. N nothing changed. You got saved in 2000 and it's still the same in 2020. No, nothing has changed. And this is a warning. This is a warning for being unfruitful. If you acknowledge that you, you needed a savior and you trusted in Christ for your salvation, then that same God that will that save you, he'll keep you, but he will also change you. There's no way that you can say that you belong to Jesus and nothing about your life is different. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew's gospel. Every tree, Matthew 7, verses 19 through 20. Here's what Christ said. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. Here's what he says. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. I have a question. Is there any unmistakable evidence that God is in you? When, when people see you, are they able to identify with things in your life that they would say, that person belongs to God. I know they got a relationship with God. I know I've seen them walk through some stuff and not lose their mind. I know they got a relationship with God. I've seen them when they should have did this, but they didn't do it. I know they walk with God. I don't know how you handled that situation so, so eloquently and with uh, integrity and with character. I don't know how you did that. I don't know how you handled that so godly. That is a person who has evidence that they walk with God. And, and, and people should be able to know it because God don't hide inside of his children. 
God does not hide inside of his children. And so our fruit testifies to the truth, the power and the validity of the gospel. God doesn't deal with unfruitful branches. And so he is the gardener. God is the gardener and God, the gardener, has the responsibility to distinguish between productive and unproductive branches. So he cuts away those that are unfruitful because more than likely they don't belong to him anyway. So he cuts them, he cuts them. But here's the interesting thing. The vine dresser gets rid of, cuts off and gets rid of the unfruitful branches. But he don't put his knife away. When he cuts the unfruitful ones, he doesn't put his knife away. He doesn't throw his knife away after he deals with the unfruitful branches. He actually keeps it. And here's what it says in the B clause of verse two. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so it'll produce more fruit. Ouch. Pruning. You know what pruning is? Pruning is cutting and removing. And so back in those days or for a gardener, after each year's harvest, the fruitful branches got cut back significantly. The idea was to remove whatever would inhibit it from growing. And here's why this should make us shudder, because pruning is painful. Pruning is painful. I don't mean to sound like a typical preacher, but, but I don't want to say that there's purpose and painful pruning. I mean, that's too easy. That's a layup, right? There's purpose in painful pruning, but there is purpose in you being pruned. While it is painful, it is also meaningful. It is absolutely worthwhile. And, and so God loves us. And so God will prune us. And so th this is a maybe sometimes it, is, it works its way out in God's discipline in our lives. Here's what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 12 and 11. He says no discipline Seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Ooh. Now, now huh. some of us grew up and we got disciplined. We got spankings. Or if you were from where I'm from, you, get a, you got a whooping if you got out of line, if you got out of, got out of character. And, and, and so you would, get, you would get whoopings. You get spankings. And so although I was the perfect child, Perfect child, perfect in all my ways. I got spankings at time, but, but this ain't about me. My brother, my, my brother, I love my brother. I, I love my brother. My brother, my brother, he didn't just get, he didn't just get spanking. Sometimes my mom and my grandmama had to jump off the top rope with the elbow to his head. They, they had to drop kick him. They, they had to put him in a figure four leg lock. They had to put him in, in the headlock sometimes. And, and no matter what happened, this boy would never cry. I'd never seen him cry one day in my life. He, he don't cry about mama would whoop him and, and just whoop him to sit and he wouldn't cry at all. You pull out the belt on me. You threaten to whoop me. I'm a bucket of tears. You threaten to look at me. You look at me wrong. You take your belt off if you're getting undressed and it scares me. 
And so we, we, we would sometimes get disciplined in that manner. Now, don't call the people on my mama for disciplining us because there's, there's a point and there's a, there's a method to this. And, and shout out to all y'all timeout people that do timeout. Shout out to the timeout people. That, but, but my mama didn't have a shirt with stripes on. That, that'll hit you in the NBA season. My mama didn't have a shirt with stripes on it. That'll hit you during the basketball season. However, what was the purpose of the discipline was so that we would mature to a point and we would put away the childishness. And so in order in order for us to put away the childishness, the parent has to sometimes discipline the child. Here's what it says in the rest of verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 12. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful later on. However, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so the point of discipline is so that you will yield the fruit of righteousness. The purpose is prune, of pruning is so that the branch can eventually bear fruit. And fruitful branches would be pruned in order to make more fruit, make room for more fruit to come. God is concerned about us producing quality fruit. Quality fruit. Here's what I want to say. Most of us fight the process of pruning. God is literally trying to tear stuff away from us that, are, that, that would have been cool in one season, but the fruit is no longer good. It's actually rotten at this point. And God is trying to tear some stuff away from us. God is trying to tear some things away from us. And some of us are still taking trips and still hopping on planes and still going to see this one and that one. And God is trying to prune us and make room for us to have something better. But we keep fighting the pruning process. And the gardener would remove unfruitful branches to keep them from sapping the strength out of the fruitful branches and some of us have given our strength to things and people that God has been trying to prune out of our lives the other thing is is that the gardener would prune the prune the branches so that they uh, would actually not be unhealthy because if the unhealthy branches stayed on the vine they would make the other branches unhealthy and God is trying to give you health but you keep fighting the process and God is not content for us to bear only a little fruit. He desires to make your life beautiful and productive, more productive than it is right now. And the only way that can happen is through cutting away the parts that are dying so you can grow and be more healthy. Although pruning is painful, God's commitment to your fruit bearing is greater than your commitment to your comfort. God's commitment to your fruit bearing is greater than your commitment to your comfort. And if you fear that whatever God is cutting out of your life, you may get hurt or you may never recover. I want to tell you this. God is the perfect vine dresser. God is the perfect gardener. He knows how to cut perfectly in the right places and at the right time to get maximum efficiency from the branches. He knows how to cut. We can't go by this pruning process and focus on the cutting part and then neglect to see the father's protection and care and watchfulness and his faithfulness to ensure that his branches are growing and don't go to ruin. God is pruning us because God cares for us. Don't, don't see the, the discipline as God being mean, but God cares for us. Where would we be without God pruning us in certain seasons of our lives? The condition of a tree's fruit is a testament to the gardener that takes care of it. That the condition of a tree's fruit is a testament to the gardener that takes care of it. So if you are healthy, you are healthy because you got a good gardener. 
If your life is beautiful, if your life is grown and you produce fruit, it is because not of you. It's because of the vine that you're connected to and the gardener that is in your life. So Jesus talks about in verse three about about them being clean. He's essentially saying that the process of pruning began at the moment of salvation. Verse three says you are clean because of the word I spoke to you. We got clean at the moment we heard the gospel and responded to it, that, that we heard the gospel. It cleaned us, washed over us. And the word of God is now a tool that is pruning our minds and heart. And so this pruning process is something that we call sanctification. But sanctification isn't momentary. It is a lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus. How does this happen? The Holy Spirit helps us. The helper is who God has given us to help us produce more fruit. And let me make a clarification here. Oftentimes we talk about fruit and we reduce fruit down to cars, houses, money, promotions. But that's not the type of fruit that he's referencing here. Those are God's blessings and his provision in our life. But that ain't the fruit that he's referencing. The fruit he's talking about is a fruit that comes by way of the Holy Spirit. Would you turn to me one of the most famous verses in the Bible? Galatians chapter five, verses 22 through 23. And here's what it says. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. The law is not against such things. I want to say this, that the number one fruit that we must possess is the fruit of love. It drives all other fruit. It must serve as motivation for the rest. It starts with loving God and works its way out by loving other people. And we should oftentimes ask ourselves, do we bear any of these fruit? Are, are, are any of these fruit in Galatians 5 evident in our lives? Do we have love? As a Christian, do you have joy? Do you have peace? Do you have patience? Help me somebody. Do, do you have patience? Help me somebody. Are you kind to people? Do you say hello? Do you speak to the waiter? Do you speak to the person at the drive through? Do you, do you treat the people at the restaurant with respect? Do you open doors for people? Do you, do, you, do you have goodness? Are there just some good things about you? Are you faithful? Are you consistent? Do you say you're going to do something and then you do it? Or are you gentle? Are you gentle? And Lord help us, do you have self-control? We should bear some of these. We should bear some of these. But if we are believers and we're connected to God, how is it that we know people that say that they're walking with the Lord and they don't bear any of these and they don't seem much different than the time that they said that they came to know Christ. Is it possible that they are never connected to the vine to begin with? So we can go through seasons of drought, right? We can go through seasons of struggle. But at some point, there should be evidence that God is in your life because a fruit bearing life is a changed life. So how do I how do I grow, pastor? Verses four through five. Jesus says this remain in me and I in you just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me, remain in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Abiding to remain in God, to stay, to rest. 
to, to stay next to God so, so that you can have the care and the survival. You can, you can withstand because you're connected to the vine. God takes care of the branches. It is to abide means to, to constantly to depend on God continually, to rely on God for everything. We abide with Christ because we are united to Christ. We abide to him because we are in relationship with him. We are one with him. From the book Union with Christ, The Way to Know and Enjoy God, Rankin Wilborn said, your life with God is all of grace. Period. And God's grace invites, even requires your participation. I love this part. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. We don't earn our salvation, but we can make an effort to be more like God. So how do we abide? We abide through the Holy Spirit. But here's the means that God has given us. He's given us three means that I want to cover today. We abide in Christ by continuing to trust Jesus in the moment to moment um, times of our lives. We, we, we trust Jesus. We abide by trusting in Jesus. We abide by staying in his presence. That is, that is a vibrant prayer life. We abide by staying in his word. Remember John 8, 31, where he said, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. And so I don't want you to focus on the task. OK, I got to stay in my word. I got to keep praying. I got to continue to trust Jesus. I got to do these tasks. We have to focus on the relational aspect of this. We cannot treat God like something to do. He is a person to be in relationship with. And I'm afraid that what this pandemic has revealed is that most of us were religious without a relationship with God. You can be religious all you want. It's just that your religion must come from an outpouring of a fruitful relationship with God. Some of us don't know what to do without church. Well, let me tell you this. You should have already been cultivating a relationship with God on your own. We need church. It is a part of the means of grace that God has given us to be a community with other believers. But it should not be the only and sole purpose you have a relationship with God. You should have been reading your Bible, been on your knees praying because you love God and you have a relationship with him. And so your relationship with God must take precedence and priority in your life. He must be the first one you call on, the first one you run to, the first one you share your heart with. The more we abide in God, the more we know him. And the more we know him, the more we come, become like him. And you know, that's called that's called bearing fruit. But here's a problem for us. We oftentimes try to live our lives without him. Our sin nature that we all has all have tries to push us back into spiritual independence. But we cannot do anything meaningful without God. We may get some stuff done, but if it's not driven by and coming from our connection with him, it means absolutely nothing. It is worthless. It is actually dead works, whether that be our careers, our finances, our spiritual life, some of the things we do in church, even even that, even that, if it's just straight up duty. It is just duty and it is giving dutifully. It is serving dutifully. It is singing dutifully. We have turned God honoring, honoring ministry into a boring checklist of things to do that never connects to our hearts. Even personal devotion time with God is inconvenient to us or we just don't feel anything. But when it's not coming from a relationship with God, it falls short. Because it is not done with him in our hearts. It is possible to do all of the church stuff and not please God because it's no longer about him. But that's what our sin does. It drives us to selfishness. 
But here's the good news. Jesus' death on the cross freed us from a life of dead works. Jesus' death on the cross freed us from coming to church and just doing stuff and going through the motions. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 7 and 4. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you are also put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. You belong to him who raised from who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. We do not bear fruit for God without God. And so I want to leave you with this. Jesus is the model for our abiding. But before we see Jesus as an example, we must first see him as a gift. We will not appreciate Jesus as an example if we don't first honor him as a gift. Jesus is a gift from God. And once we see him as a gift, following him as a disciple becomes more meaningful. It becomes more purposeful and it becomes more fruitful. Jesus says this in John 5 and 19. Truly, I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own. The son is not able to do anything on his own but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. What is Jesus doing? He's abiding. And if that's the case for Jesus, how much more for you and I? Although we abide, there's a blessing in it for us. Verses seven through eight. And I'm almost done. It says this. If you remain in me and my words in you. Ask whatever you want. And it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. And the blessing of abiding is answered prayer. Why is that? Because when you abide in Jesus, his words Shape your prayers. You can ask for anything and he will give it to you because you've asked things according to his will, not your own. His words become our words that turn into prayers. Our prayers are now aligned with the purposes and with the will of God in Christ Jesus. You know, one thing about our prayers, if you write down your prayers and you take note of what you pray for, our prayer life reveals what we are most committed to. But when you're committed to Jesus in a wonderful relationship, his agenda becomes your agenda, which means that your prayers become answered. And here's what everything means. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what we're here for, to bring God glory and enjoy him at the same time. And so as we bear fruit, as being connected to the vine, we bring God glory. When we obey Jesus, the result of our abiding is that we Bring glory to God. Our lives show off the glory of God through our connection with the Son. And by this, we prove that we are his disciples. 
God was glorified through the fruit bearing life and sacrifice of his son, Jesus. And he is glorified by our lives as we produce fruit that comes from union with the son. A fruitless life does not bring glory to God. Are we being fruitful? And I want this to serve as a reminder to us that God saved us to grow us. We were saved to be made in the image of his son. And it is a journey of growth. And what we cannot do is fight the process of pruning when it comes. It is not because God is mad. It is not because God is punishing. But God is caring for you and loving for you because God wants better for you than you want for yourself. Because ultimately, your fruitful life brings God glory. And if you're watching this and you are not a believer, you're not a Christian, maybe God has been trying to prune you. Maybe he's been trying to get your attention by things that have been happening in your life over a period of time. Things are not working out. You keep hitting your head against the glass, the ceiling that is not glass because you can't break through it. You keep hitting your head, but you can't break through. That something is off. Every decision seems to lead you to the same place. That you feel so far away from God that even trying doesn't seem like a possibility. Well, well guess what? God doesn't care about you trying because it's not about your effort. It is about you putting your trust and faith in the finished work of Jesus. Jesus lived the life that you could not live and died the death that you should have died so that you could have eternal life. And so for us as Christians, for Christians, here's the gospel. If you're not a believer and you're watching this, we're not bearing fruit so that God can say, OK, cool, you can get to heaven. No, we are bearing fruit and trying to honor God with our lives because Jesus has already done the work for us. He died for our sins and was raised to life. He accomplished our forgiveness. The penalty was satisfied. God has more grace than you have sin, but you must rest and trust in him. And being pruned and growing and being fruitful is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. There are no super Christians. But God has given us ordinary means to experience his extraordinary grace. And so my encouragement, my admonishment to you that are watching that is not in a relationship with Jesus, like for real, for real, is that you surrender today. That you surrender right where you are, right where you're sitting, right where you're driving, right from that couch you're watching, right from that dining room table, right from that kitchen table, right from upstairs in your bedroom, wherever you are, you can surrender today. He already loves you. And there's nothing that you can do to earn his love. It's already been earned. And God is waiting to journey with you in the process of being made more like his son. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We hope you were blessed by the message today and would love to hear about how God is using this ministry in your life. 
You can connect with us online at outpouringorlando.com to share your story, request prayer, give financial support, or learn more about our ministry. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services if you're ever in the Orlando area. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.